Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book Betsy Timboom, Promise of God by Mike Evans, with permission from Time Worthy Books. And I do want to remind you that this is a historical fiction. So it's based on history, but there's been added things embellishing it. Chapter 10. When I awakened the next morning, Hannah's side of the bed was empty, and I pressed my palm against the sheets and found they were cold. Wherever Hannah was now, she had been gone from my room for quite some time. Slowly I turned back the cover, swung my legs over the side of the bed, and shoved my feet into my slippers. A robe lay across the chair near the dresser, and I snagged it, then slipped my arms into it while still seated in bed. Finally, I pushed myself up to a standing position, rubbed my fingers over my eyes. We stayed up too late, I said to myself. As I started toward the door, my eyes fell on the dresser, and I saw the money and the note were missing. Downstairs in the kitchen, Mama confirmed that what I already knew. She left this morning. Your father saw her leave as he came down to put on the coffee. I took a seat at the table, propped my elbows on the tabletop, and rested my chin in my hand. Think she'll go back home? I don't know, Mama replied. Aunt Annie passed by my chair. You look tired. How late did you stay up? I heard the clock strike eleven. No wonder you're moving slow this morning. Mama spoke up again. What were you two talking about that kept you up so late? Tobias, the marriage, how much she doesn't want to go through with it. Do you think she's going back home? I don't. Just then, Corey appeared in the doorway. Your friend Hannah left already, she blurted out. I saw her out of my bedroom window. With my eyes barely open, I smiled at her. Did you tell her goodbye? I waved to her, Corey offered, but she was already outside by the time I came from the bed. She moved to the stove and reached for the coffee pot. Aunt Annie stopped her with a word of caution and handed her a pot holder. Use this instead of your bare hand. Oh, right, Corey said sheepishly. I keep forgetting. You won't do it twice, Mama chided. She glanced in my direction, but thankfully, fully returned to the conversation Corey interrupted. And I didn't wait around for her to remember it again, either. I rose from the table and returned to my room to dress. Later that morning, Joseph Meyer came to the shop looking for Hannah. I was at my desk working with the ledger when he arrived. Papa glanced up as he entered. Joseph, he said in a friendly voice, three times now in the space of two weeks. I just came to collect Hannah, Joseph replied in a businesslike manner. No time to visit today. She isn't here, I replied. Where is she? he asked with a puzzled look. I don't know. She spent the night, I explained, but left before I awoke. Joseph looked away for a moment, ran his hand over his forehead. I know she was upset, he sighed. I assume you know why. Yes, sir. Any idea where she went? When I hesitated, Papa spoke up. Betsy, he said in a parental tone, there's no point in hiding the matter. Mr. Meyer, I began as I pushed back my chair and stood. Could I ask you something? His puzzled look turned to one of irritation. What, he said with a sour tone. If you know she's upset and you know why, then why make her go through with it? I'm afraid it's not that easy, he answered in a curt manner. It can't be that difficult either, I countered. He took a deep breath and let it escape, as if pausing a moment to muster his patience. Then he said, The man to whom she has promised for marriage is the son of an important leader in the synagogue in Amsterdam. He glanced at Papa's direction. Isaac Franken. He's an art merchant and a dealer in rare coins and books. You know him? No, Papa replied, I don't. 
but I don't know as many people in Amsterdam as I once did. He is very wealthy, Joseph continued, well-respected and held in esteem by most everyone. And his son, I interjected, what is his reputation? Joseph dropped his gaze to the floor, a boy of privilege in a man's body. He said it without affection, but I could see the anger in his eyes. And Hannah doesn't like him, I continued. No, Joseph agreed. Then I shrugged. What is the problem with not marrying him? It would not be a good idea to disappoint the father. My eyes opened wider, and I know why, I said softly. Joseph's eyes suddenly came alive, and he glared at me. She shouldn't have told you that. I don't think you'll be able to avoid that issue, do you? What do you mean? Whether you stop the wedding or Hannah fails to appear, the result will be the same. She and Tobias will not be married. That's my problem, he said with a sharp tone. Do you know where she is? I took a deep breath. If I refused to answer, Papa would demand it, and if I persisted in my refusal, a scene would follow. But if I told Joseph what he wanted to know, he might go looking for Hannah, and that would be a problem, too. And not just for Hannah, but for Garrett and Marguerite. At the same time, Hannah needed her father to rescue her, and in order for him to do that, he had to know where she was. All of that presented a dilemma for me, and I rolled it around in my mind as we stood there staring at each other. Thinking about what to say took longer than I expected, and when I didn't speak up promptly, Papa rose from the chair behind his desk and came to my side. Gently, he slipped his arm around my shoulder and pulled me close. I think you should tell him, he said calmly, but if you don't, I'll stand behind you. The kindness in his voice caught me off guard. I knew he loved me and that he only wanted the best for me, but right then I was overwhelmed by his display. Tears came to my eyes and I swallowed hard, trying to retain my composure. At last, in a soft voice, I said, I think she went to Amsterdam. A frown wrinkled Joseph's brow. To Amsterdam? He looked worried. You mean she took the train? I don't know for certain, but that would be my guess. She didn't have any money of her own. How could she pay the fare? I gave him a knowing look and saw an angry scrowl come over his face. But Papa spoke up. Joseph, they're just two girls trying to make their way through a dangerous and uncertain world. I know, Joseph sighed. It's just Tobias lives in Amsterdam, and I don't want her to see him right now without me present. He looked down at me. Was she going to his house? No, I replied. I don't think so. Then where? I moved away from Papa's grasp, leaned over towards my desk, and scribbled the address for Garrett and Marguerite on a scrap of paper. With the note held firmly in my hand, I faced him and said, I'll give you this address if you promise not to make her marry him. She's my daughter, Joseph squared his shoulders and thrusted out his chin in an oddly defiant manner. She must obey me. She's your daughter, I replied in a tender voice as I could manage. You must love and defend her. At those words, a sense of sadness came over him and the corners of his eyes drooped. A refusal to marry Tobias would ruin me, he lamented. It would ruin the entire family. It might bring you to that end, I conceded, still with eyes focused on his. But if the situation is ruined, I think you know what caused it. And it wasn't Hannah. Joseph's shoulders slumped, and for a moment I'm sorry I said anything at all. Then, just as quickly, I remembered Hannah and the look in her eyes the first day I met her. She deserved more of a life than she was about to get with Tobias. It was a life she didn't have to take. One made necessary only because Joseph refused to take responsibility for his own decisions. Part of me wanted to reassure him, to extend a sympathy nod and let him off the hook, 
but the other part of me wouldn't budge. So I stood my ground and waited for a response. He would promise not to force the marriage and get the address. Or he could refuse and find Hannah on his own. After a moment, he nodded his head. All right, I'll agree. She doesn't have to marry Tobias. I won't make her. Good. I thrusted the paper towards him. He took it, scanned it quickly, and reached for the door. As he was about to step out, he tipped his head to me and said, I hope she always has a friend like you. A few days later, Isaac Franklin appeared at the shop. He had an arrogant, condescending way about him, not as a man born to privilege, but one much harder, of one who had fought his way up, endured, and never met a challenge he couldn't overcome. By force of will and with great effort, he reached a level of success that insulated him from many of life's economic indulgence. Yet having attained the level of comfort, it turned on him and made him harsh towards others. It was as if he deserved that lifestyle all along and only been deprived of it earlier by the schemes of others too cheap or afraid or unwilling to take it for themselves. I don't know how I knew this or whether I really ever knew it. I just felt it. He was arrogant and at the same time brisk in a defensive way. His clothes were perfectly tailored. His shoes were shined to a brilliant luster, but just the way he walked set my feet on edge. Even before he spoke a word, I did not care for him. Tobias trailed after him only a few steps behind, shorter and not nearly as dignified. He reminded me of a puppy that cowered behind his master. Like his father, he wore clothes made to impress, but he carried himself in a sloppy, less intentional manner and certainly not as one who commanded respect. Rather, the kind who couldn't tell you what he wanted in life and whatever he had, whatever life he led, it was just always there for the living. And so he lived it as it came to him, not in a carefree manner either, but as the scraps of someone else's life that somehow fell onto his plate. With a quick turn of his head, Isaac glanced around the shop, his eyes surveying the display cases and the shelves on the wall behind Papa as he introduced himself. But he wasted little effort on the polite conversation. Instead, after he and Papa shook hands, he went straight to the point of his visit. I understand Hannah Meyer is residing in your home. No, Papa replied, she's not here. I was told she was. You were told in error. I must warn you, Isaac continued, finding her is a matter of gravest concern to me. I have many friends in influential places, and they will all tell you I won't stop until I find what I'm looking for. I'm sure Hannah's safety is of much concern to you, but I assure you she isn't here. Isaac gave Papa one of those tight, condescending smiles. Her safety is of concern to me, but that's not why I'm here. I'm sure you know it. Mr. Tinboom, you're known in Amsterdam as a man of honor, someone sympathetic to the Jewish cause. As one knowledgeable in our ways and a friend of Joseph Meyer, I'm sure you know the nature of my business with young Hannah. Actually, I believe it's your son's business, not yours. It was a promise to me, Isaac retorted. His face was red and his jaw tense. It was a marriage promise, Papa replied coolly. Yes, Isaac roared, a marriage promise, a sacred commitment. But it was not a promise that Hannah made, I said, diving into the conversation. At the sound of my voice, Isaac snapped his head around and glared at me. Young lady, he said, fumed with his eyes bright as flames. Must I remind you that women are to be seen and not heard? You should keep to your work and remain silent until I request a response from you. Papa bolted upright from his chair at the desk and I responded before he could speak. The promise you're looking to enforce was a promise made by Hannah's grandfather to your father. It wasn't a promise from Hannah. She didn't agree. 
So not only was it not her promise, it was contrary to your own tradition. Isaac looked around at Papa. Who is this urchin, he demanded. She's my daughter, Papa said calmly. And you allow her to speak to me in this way? It's not him you're angry with, I kept going. It's not me for speaking out of turn. It's that promise that makes you angry. You're not only rude, you're insolent. But since you brought it up, how would a promise of bride for my son make me angry, except that you people are standing in the way of that promise fulfillment? You're angry because you know I'm right. The promise of Hannah's grandfather cannot possibly bind her with obligation to your son, or anyone else for that matter. It was an attempted commitment that stands in direct contradiction to your own sacred tradition, a tradition that requires her consent, which is why marriage commitments cannot be made before one reaches the age of accountability. And so this promise will fail. It must fail. And there isn't anything you can do to prevent it except shout at a young girl and a watchmaker. Because for the first time in your life, you will fail to get the best of Joseph Meyer. This is utter nonsense and an outrage. No, sir, retorted. The outrage is in your behavior. My behavior? Yes, your behavior. Attempting to coerce a young girl into a life of slavery. I pointed to Tobias. A life she would spend waiting on your son, hand and foot. A life she would spend at his beck and call at any time, day or night. The life you describe is a life of any woman who marries, even a Protestant woman such as yourself. Perhaps it is, but at least for us it's a life that we choose not one to which we are shackled against by our will, by the decision of prior generation and enforced by the coercion of the present. Isaac looked back at Papa. She can't talk to me that way. No woman can speak to me in this manner, and certainly not a mere girl. I protest this indignity. Protest all you like, Papa replied. Your father made that promise, and that promise died with him five years ago when he pitched headlong from a wagon. He looked at Isaac in the eye. Yes, he nodded. I know a few things about you, too, and I know your reputation, one of bullying others into doing as you demand. It isn't going to work here. Franken's face turned red and his eyes narrowed. How dare you speak to my father in this manner? How dare you barge in here and accost us like indentured servants? This is a Jewish matter between our families and to be settled by our traditions and customs. I spoke up once more. No, it isn't. This isn't about your traditions. This is about a sum of money that Joseph Meyer owes you, one he cannot repay, and your attempt to use it against him to enforce the promise of a dead man, and all to get your son a wife so he can give you a grandson. Isaac was taken back by the unexpected revelation of his private affairs. A sum of money? He gasped. What are you? At last, Tobias interrupted. Father, what is she talking about? This is the first time I've heard of money. Stay out of this. Isaac snapped at him. But if... I assure you, he said tersely, it has nothing to do with that. Joseph Meyer thinks it does, I added, hoping to keep Tobias engaged in the argument. That's why he won't say anything to you about voting the marriage. Isaac looked at us both, first at Papa, then at me, and then with a snide voice he said, You two only think you know what you're talking about. But I assure you, you don't. Now give me the girl, or tell me where I can find her, and we'll go on our way. She isn't here, I said. Then tell me where she is. I can't, I replied, shaking my head. Perhaps I should call the police and file charges, and then they'll search this place from top to bottom, and who knows what they'll find. On what charge, Papa asked. Oh, believe me, Isaac said with a sarcastic tone, I can find a charge that will suffice to turn this hovel inside out. Insult us all you like, I said divinely. But I'm not telling you where she is. Isaac turned to Papa, but he pointed at me. 
She will ruin you if you let this continue, Casper. I promise she will ruin you. Papa stepped towards the door and then turned. Mr. Franklin, you can get any order you like and return with any policeman you like. He reached the door and opened it. The station is just up the street, but for now get out of my shop. And then he opened the door even wider and gestured with a sweep of his free hand. I think it's time for you and your son to be gone. Isaac stared at Papa a moment as if he was unsure what to do and then reluctantly motioned for Tobias to follow. And together they stepped out to the sidewalk. When he was outside the shop, Isaac glanced back at Papa one last time. You will regret this decision. I doubt it, Papa replied, and pushed the door shut. Father and I watched through the window as Isaac and Tobias started down the street in the opposite direction from the police station. While we watched, I heard footsteps from behind us and turned to see Mama at the bottom of the staircase. I've never seen a more arrogant man in all my life, she gasped. Who on earth was that? Papa smiled at her. You were listening. Yes, I was listening. I couldn't avoid listening. He was speaking so loud the neighbors probably heard. She, she glanced at me. Who was he? Isaac Franklin. Such arrogance, she said with a tone of disbelief. Such utter arrogance. And then she looked over at me. You are right about this. All along you are right. Hannah has no business bearing into that family. A satisfied grin spread over my face and I felt my cheeks turn warm. Instead, I felt full and rich and lovely. Sometimes Mama could say the nicest things. Next week will be Chapter 11. I love you, I'm praying for you, and bye-bye for now.